Amen. If you're saved this morning, would you raise your left hand? Amen. Hold on. If you know that you're saved, would you raise your right hand? Keep them up there now. Now look over at the neighbor and say, I told you you're going to shout one day. <laughs> say, preacher, you tricked me. It worked. It worked. Amen. Turn, if you would, to the second chapter of the book of Matthew. And before we get started, I want to say, and, and we, we don't ever do it enough, but uh, our, our choir and uh, our musicians, uh, man, what a blessing. And then the little guys we like to pick on so much, uh, and ladies up there, that sound uh, and lighting and all, uh, boy, it makes it. And then to have a great pastor, I tell you, it's just, uh, <laughs> y'all, y'all beat all, you just cut up, I tell you. Uh, but there's another group that uh, last night was up here late. I, bless God, we're not going to be able, we're not going to have to do this very much longer. But they were hauling chairs because of the dinner theater. We had to take chairs from two classrooms over here, one upstairs, 70-some chairs to get back out there, and then they had to come back over here this morning for Sunday school, and now they've got to go back over there this afternoon. And uh, our, our custodial, janitorial, all those guys who volunteer and, and get paid, they do a tremendous job here. I praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 2, we think this morning we're in a series called Christmas in a Mixed-Up World. And nobody will doubt our world is about as mixed up. It's like a termite and a yo-yo. Just around and around we go. But in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Father, thank you this morning. How specially blessed we are to be in this place. Lord, to worship you as king of kings and lord of lords. And I realize in this place, Lord, there are folk in this place today that have no idea what it's like to lay their head on a pillow and have peace and go to sleep at night. But I pray this would be the day that they meet Jesus face to face. God, would you save souls this morning? There are others that came in hurting and frustrated and discouraged. Would you encourage them and lift them up as only your Holy Spirit can do? We look forward to what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The story of Jesus and the story of the birth of Jesus, and <clears throat> we've kind of romanticized it. We kind of put it like a little bedtime story. But I want to tell you, this story is loaded with some profound counterintuitive uh, 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 essence that really brings us to the gospel, what the gospel is all about. It answers some deep questions like, how can we believe there is a God when such a chaotic mess is going on all around us. 
I mean, where, where was God this week? Over in Kenya. 11 Kenyans were taken off a bus because they couldn't quote the Muslim, whatever it's called, shot in the head, killed, left by the roadside. Where, where was God? Where, where was God this week in Houston when a police officer sitting in his car and and he's doing his reports, and somebody walks up to the window and just shoots him point blank in the head. Where's God in the naval station when we're trying to help another country? And they turn on us, kill our people. Then, then the question comes up, if Christianity is really true, how come all the smart people are not Christians? You ever thought about that? I thought about it this week, and then it dawned on me, maybe the ones I think who are smart maybe not be as smart as I think they are. You know, there is, a, there is a degree that you can be educated above your intelligence. I'll explain that a little later on. <laughs> uh, what about all the people in this world who are not Christians? Now, I want to, first of all, just kind of clear up some wrong assumptions that we've got about the birth of Jesus. Our favorite Christmas carols romanticize this. It makes it a hallmark moment. I think about those words, silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. You ever been at a birth of a baby? <laughs> I remember in 1979, I was at a youth camp in Lone Star and they called and they said, uh, didn't have no cell phones back then. You had to actually call and then go get somebody. And they said, they've taken your wife to the hospital. You're going to have a baby. I said, well, we're not going to have a baby. It's three more months. And I got to the hospital and Becky kept saying, the baby's coming. And this, well, well, uh, you know, she was an athlete nurse. Let me just put it like that. She said, no, honey, the baby's not coming. Becky kept saying, the baby's coming. No, you just think it. And in a minute, I heard her scream, the baby's coming. And there they go down the hall. There's no epidural. There's nothing. But I can tell you, it wasn't no silent night in that hospital that night. <laughs> and then about three or four years later, we were in Nederland and I, I don't, Becky, it's my fault, all right? Don't blame my wife. She wanted me to go to these classes. And I ain't going. I didn't go. I said, I ain't, I ain't going to sit in no pillow and tell you how to breathe. You just, you know, man ain't got no business in the operating room when that's going on, no way. And so it's a Sunday night. And Jason has been born, and the doctor is a friend of mine, and he walks out, and I said, how come you're not robed up? I said, I didn't go to those classes. Yeah, all those things are useless. Get your robe on and come on. She had an epidural there, and I can tell you, it still wasn't no silent night. <laughs> so when, when you're talking, uh, how, about, how about away in a manger? The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now, you going to tell me your baby wake up staring down a cow and he ain't even going to cry? Huh? Come on. <laughs> and I, I don't want to mess up your nativity sets. 
But the wise men didn't get there the night Jesus was born. Now, guys, if you really want your home to be scripturally sound, you go home today, we collect nativity sets, and you take all those wise men, and you put them on the opposite side of the living room because they're going to come around June or July, maybe even a year later. But they don't need to be there. See, we got a lot of misconceptions about that. We always can presume there were three uh, wise men because there were three gifts. No group could, could uh, travel in groups of three. Man, there were hundreds, maybe even thousands of kids and wives and servants and donkeys and all of these astrologers that came uh, along there, there. You say, well, how do you know it was just three? Well, the Bible says that, uh, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem saying, where is he that was born in the king of Jesus? We've seen his star come. And when Herod heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem, you think three men on some donkeys is going to trouble the city? I mean, it was a whole group. So we've, we've got a lot of things we need to kind of straighten out. And then you wonder, how in the world did these wise men get over here? You say, well, they followed the star. No, the star got them started. They, they come to Herod and want directions here. How'd they get over there? Well, Persia, and where these kings came from there, uh, had, uh, had invaded Jerusalem before and destroyed it. And they left the good people, the good men, the sharp, bright young men, the men like Daniel, the guy in the lion's den, the men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got thrown in the fiery furnace. Uh, they, they left them with the Persians. And so they've heard the prophecies that Daniel is told and, and Moses. They were very familiar with Numbers chapter 23. That was a tremendous prophecy that, and, and, and a story that all of those kings knew about. It, 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 it's an enemy king named Balak. And he's afraid of Israel. So what he does is he wants to have them cursed, but he's scared to do it. So he finds a TV evangelist that doesn't, you know, don't have a great conscience and the right amount of money, he'll do whatever. So, so, so Balaam is going to curse Israel. Well, God doesn't want it to happen, so he sends an angel to stand in Balaam's way. And the donkey stops, and he won't go any further. Balaam ends up beating up the donkey. And then the angel moves. They go a little bit further. Then the angel appears again to the donkey, and he's standing in the gap, and there's nowhere to go to the left. There's nowhere to go to the right. And so the donkey stops, and so he curses the donkey and then beats him again. Now, here's the exciting thing in Numbers 23:30, The donkey begins to talk to Balaam. Here's what he said, quoting, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam answered him. <laughs> no. And I'm thinking to myself, Hey, there's a donkey talking to you, man. And the only word you can say is no. I mean, you can't say, whoa, donkey's not supposed to talk. Balaam said no. And then the angel revealed himself to him. And he ended up realizing the donkey had saved his life. Uh, I, I want to tell you, those, those wise men, they understood this and they came from afar. afar. 
Next, you got to get a little background on Herod here. <laughs> He's a jewel. He was always trying to impress people. Built mansions and temples. Of course, they all had his name on the front of them. I mean, he's the kind of guy, he's a preacher that when you see his billboard, there he is. And if he's got a little bit of humility, he'll let his wife stand with him. But most time not. Jewish tradition said when David was running from Saul, he climbed up to a place called Masada. And he, and he uh, built there up on high on the hill. And so Herod's not going to be outdone by David. So he builds a giant retreat at Masada. Of course, it's a drought place. There's no rain. So Herod develops a cistern system that will handle water for 10 years. In 1940, when they were excavating the area there, they dug up uh, uh, rooms of figs and different fruit that they already had the knowledge to save. I mean, he's, he's not going to be outdone. He always trying to impress people, but he was a psychotic and was paranoid about losing his power. He thought his wife was conspiring against him. He didn't sit down and say, honey, I, I, we need to talk about this. He just had her killed. And then later on, three, well, even at that time, he thought it wasn't doing no good to have her killed, so he we went ahead and had her her mother killed and brother too. And then a little later on, his sons he thought were conspiring, so he had three sons killed. The emperor Augustus said this, it would be better to be Herod's sow than one of his sons. When he was inaugurated as king, he invited all of the enemies of his family together. Going to have a come to Jesus peaceful meeting. Invited all of them to come together. Had a man bush, killed every one of them. I mean, this is a real guy here. He, he was known to dress up like a commoner, go around town, and talk about Herod. And if anybody said anything negative, he had him killed on the spot. Mm. He only cared about prospering himself. Now, we're in America, and I don't know who you are in here, but somewhere there's a 1% in here. Those are the ones of y'all that's got millions and billions of dollars. There's a 1%. It didn't start in America. Herod started that back here. He got short on money one time, had the 45 wealthiest citizens executed on trumped-up charges and seized their estates. He had an automatic tax. Herod did. 50% of everything every person made went to Herod. 12.5% went to Caesar. Another 12.5% went to the wonderful tax man. So if you caught 100 fish, you ended up walking away with 25 fish. Mm. Now, let me hasten to tell you something. You know I'm radical anyway. But the, but the Lord tells us to pay our taxes no matter how high they are. We're commanded to do that. Well, They, they continue on here. They find Jesus. But the Bible says that being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Each of the four Gospels here tells us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they tell the same story, but it's got a different audience there. And uh, uh, interesting enough, 
the first people who come to worship Jesus after the shepherds and after his birth are pagan wise men. They're pagan. Let, let me tell you what that tells us this morning. Is that here's a group of shepherds that are the most outcast of all outcasts. No one would have anything to do with the shepherds. And here they are kneeling at the cradle of Jesus. And here's a set of kings over here, wealthy. And here they are nailing at the cradle of Jesus. Folk, I want to tell you, the ground is level at the cross. It really doesn't matter whether you got money or whether you don't have money. It really doesn't matter whether you have education or whether you don't have education. I'm telling you, every one of us will come to Jesus by one way or we won't come to Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I know we've got some intelligent people. Brother Ron, it's so good to have you back. I have missed you. God bless you. Uh, I, I, there's some intelligent people now who say, well, there, there's more than one way to go to heaven. You can get there more than one way. But I'm telling you, based on this word of God, there's one way to go to heaven, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a Jewish Savior or an American Savior. He's the only Savior. And if you're going to have eternal life, you're going to do it His way. 1.5 billion people today have no access to the gospel. 3.5 billion have limited access. And we're sitting here with a half dozen Christian radio stations and churches on every corner, more than 200 Baptist churches in this East Texas area. And we've all figured out a way that God wants us to stay right here. Well, I want to tell you, the whole message of, of uh, Matthew is come and see. The angel said, come and see. The Lord said, come and see. But at the end of Matthew, the message is go and tell. It's come and see, but once we've seen him, we need to make change and we need to go and tell. What are you doing with your life? Hmm. I want to show you this morning that our God controls the heavens. He even can make donkeys speak. He manipulates government. See, some of y'all are hung up. You think it's Russia that's manipulated our government. Oh, no. Let me tell you, God's in charge of this thing. He's in charge. And there's not one square inch of real estate in this world that he does not have sovereignty over. Not an inch. The Bible says in Psalms 46:10, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. When I talk to you about serving the Lord and being a minister to the Lord, the first thing you think of is I need to go here, I need to serve this, I need to do this. And that's true. That's all good. But I want to tell you, sometimes serving the Lord would be just to sit down and be quiet and know that he is God. Hmm. We try to do this wisdom's world. It's not going to work. The wisdom of this world is dated. It's here and then it's gone. And it's here and then it's gone. How many times have we been told we can't eat eggs? Only to come back five years later and find out they're good for us. Same thing with coffee. If you don't want to have a heart attack, drink coffee. Because two cups of coffee a day keeps you from having a heart attack. 
You, well, no, you can't drink coffee. Yeah. You see, the, the wisdom of this world is, is dated. What, what we think is important to us and is wise to us, the next generation's going to laugh at us. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because we laughed at the last generation. And the last generation laughed at the last generation. That's wisdom. I mean, that's dated. It's, 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 it's not forever. Freud is in and then he's out. Huh. Yet when I pick up the Bible, I find that it's true from cover to cover. It doesn't change. The wisdom of this world also is inadequate. How did the wise men find Jesus? Not through the star. They just got started there. Where'd they get the details? Matthew is showing us here that this worldly wisdom, it can help us diagnose a problem, but it can't fix it. It can't fix it. And then thirdly, the wisdom of this world is narrow and exclusive. Only people who have access to it are the one who think they're wise, and they're usually thinking they're wiser than probably they are. That brings us down to today. Let me close out with just three things here. As a church, where does this leave us? Christmas, you've heard me tell you, it's tough preaching Christmas because the Christmas story, I've been here 16 years. I've told it about every way I know to tell it, but it's so important. If there had been no Christmas, there would have been no death. If there had been no death, there'd have been no resurrection. If there'd have been no resurrection, there'd been no ascension. If there'd been no ascension, there's not going to be a second coming. And I'm telling you, based on the word of God, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. So where does that leave us? I think first of all, as a church, we need to remember that we're dealing with a miracle here. This is a miracle. Some of you in this place this morning, what you need is a miracle in your life. I want to tell you, Jesus is still the answer to your miracle. To this church, we need miracles. We need some miracles coming up this next year. We're not going to find them out in the world. We're not going to find them in the government. We're not going to find them in people. We're going to find them in Jesus. When he speaks to people and the power of the Holy Spirit moves people, what we're talking about is not some run-of-the-mill deal. We're talking about a miracle. If it didn't happen, then everything we're doing here is in vain. It's a miracle. But not only does our church need to remember that we're dealing with a miracle, we need to have a burden. I think some of us have probably drank a little bit too much punch and ate a little bit too much cake and we just sat back enjoying the fat of the land. And this church needs to get a burden for lost people. We've got to have a burden on our heart. God puts that burden there. Does it bother you that people you know are going to slip out into eternity and they're not saved and they're going to go to a place called hell? Do, do you have a burden for that? <laughs> and then thirdly, we need to get an urgency. We don't need to wait. We don't need to put it off. We've got to do what we've got to do now. I'm talking about now. You've been a tremendous church to do that.
to step out on faith and say, we're not satisfied with the status quo. We're going to continue to move on. That's what Beyond the Hills 2020 is all about. You look around and you say, preacher, what, what more do you want? I want more souls to be saved. I want to see more families put back together. I want to see morality come back. It may not happen everywhere in the world, but bless God, it could happen here in East Texas. We could still come back to this place. Praise God, I've read the paper this morning. Uh, I thought I was fixing to have to take the Hallmark Channel off. It's the only reason we have cable or any of that this morning. But this morning, the Hallmark executive pulled the ad. You know why he pulled the ad? Because people like you called and complained. That's why. Listen, we can't sit on our blessed assurance and go through another immoral fact of life. We've got to start standing up. It's urgent that you stand up. Now, immediately out of the gate, uh, Ellen DeGeneres said, uh, I thought this was almost 2020. And I want to say it is. Bless God, maybe we need to go back to the old paths. It's got to be a miracle that we believe in. Do you really believe in a miracle? Or have you been in this thing so long to where you're just coasting? Does the birth of Jesus really just, wow? I guess probably, if you haven't seen the for unto y'all, you need to do it. There's one part in there that woke me up. The first time I saw it, it was Jen. And there, I'm not going to tell you where they are, but they're in this inconspicable place. Despicable. And Joseph comes in and he says, well, there's, there's not any rooms. You know, everything's silent night. Not any rooms. She grabs him by the beard and says, we'll take it. <laughs> Talking about the staple. I mean, that's how desperate it is. Are you desperate this morning? Do you believe that miracle? Are you burdened this morning? Are there folk on your, do you have a prayer list in your Bible? Is there anybody that you give one care about that you want to see saved? Because see, if you don't have a burden for them, <laughs> they're not going to probably get saved. And then it's urgent. You don't know what tomorrow holds. We've got some things going for us here in this church. We've got a foundation, which is the Word of God. Hadn't changed. It started under a tent back in the early 50s over here in South Longview. And it was the Bible, the Word of God, that started it under that tent. And we're still here today, still claiming that this is our foundation, this Word right here. But not only do we have a foundation, we got a fellowship. Ain't nobody eat more than this church. I mean, we love to fellowship. I mean, it doesn't make any difference if it's pimento cheese sandwiches or if it's smoked ribs. I mean, it's all good. We've got a fellowship. That's what this church here is for. We're one together. When one of us rejoices, we ought not to be jealous. We ought to praise the Lord. When one hurts, we ought to hurt also. We've got the foundation. We've got the fellowship. We just need to get the focus in, which is the lost. 
That's what this church is here for. You've heard me tell you this before. If we're just here to enjoy one another, I promise you, we can join the best country club in town cheaper than what you can pay tithe to keep this place open. We're not here to just do that. Praise God, we'll do it. But we're here to seek and to save those who are lost. That's what Jesus said. Come and see and then go and tell. From this time on, we're never told where the lost people are told to come into the church. Yep, bring them in. Well, they know where the church is. Bring them in. No. That's a sorry excuse. We're told to go and tell. Now, here's the deal, and I'm through. All this senseless evil and all this going around, what's the answer to it? There's only one answer, and that's still in the cross. It's Jesus Christ. That's the only answer. I mean, there, there can be people that can encourage you, but I want to tell you, the only solution to your problems begin with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. There are two scriptures here in Matthew 2 that stick out and are wonderful. One of them is verse 15 when it says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. It's a reference to Exodus from Egypt, which God took Israel out of all of the brutal slavery and sin that they were in there. And, and, and literally, after God delivers us, after we're saved, that sin, saved to sin no more. God delivers us. But then in verse 18, he said, A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there are no more. Now that's right out of Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Jeremiah offers hope to the children of Israel. They're being taken off into exiles. What's happened? You see, the Lord, it's a cycle. Hello, just like we're doing today. We, we get in a pinch. Oh, God, would you help me? God comes through and helps us. And then we get comfortable. We got money in our pocket. Everything's going good. God who? Now, they start, it don't just start out like I got who. It starts out with, well, Lord, I'm going to miss Sunday night. I, I don't. You know, it won't be a big deal. And then it's Sunday morning, and then we find ourselves in sin again. And then God delivered. That's just the, the nation Israel had been captive for years, and yet God delivered them. They come over to the promised land, and yet they go right back into sin. So what does God do? Babylon comes in, destroys Jerusalem, takes their families. Can you imagine what it would be like, Daddy, Mama, to stand here and watch your two children, one going to this family over in Babylon, one going off into this family over here, and you standing here and ain't a thing you can do about it? They're weeping. But he said, listen, mm, there's a king that's coming. He's talking about Jesus being born. There's a king that's coming that's going to deliver his people. And that's the promise we have today. I'm telling you, you may have come in here broke and you don't have a dime. You, you say, man, you don't know the problems I'm in. I'm telling you, it begins when you see your need and you let Christ come in and come into your heart and come into your family. That's when you can start the solution. It's, it, it is all dependent upon you. This king that's born, a new king that's born, a king that's going to conquer death and not cause it. Boy, won't that be something? A king who's going to heal all of our hurts. 
A king who's not going to exploit others for his own purposes. A king who's going to reconcile us to God Almighty and to each other. A king who's going to reverse the curse, bring back the children from exile, and make all of the sad things come untrue. Boy, we've, we've witnessed some terrible tragedies, but there's no answer except the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. When we come to Christmas, all we can say is it's been foretold hundreds of years before. It's happened. Now, the question is, are you not just going to hear about it with your ears and with your heart, but are you going to respond to it under the power of the Holy Spirit? That's your call. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to be in this place. Lord, we, we thank you for that redeeming love. Those words with choirs extolling his great love on high. God, would you make yourself known to folk this morning? Not a one of us in this place are exempt from needing you. We desperately need you. I pray this morning there's some need to be reminded that a miracle took place when they got saved. It wasn't happenstance. It was a miracle. Lord, there's some in this place that we need to be burdened for lost family members. I'm not talking about people in India or Pakistan. I'm talking about our own cousins and relatives and parents. And then, oh God, would you give us an urgency this morning to not put it off, not wait on anybody else. We don't know when you're coming back. We just know you're coming. So, Lord, we ask you to have your way in every life this morning. May you be honored and glorified. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, would you step out and just come meet one of us here at the front? We'd love to put you with a counselor. You say, Preacher, I don't understand all of it. If there's a, a heart pulling in your heart right now, I can tell you based on the Word of God, that's not the devil, that's the Lord. It's a power of the Holy Spirit, and He wants to save you this morning. Maybe you need a church home. I invite you to come and be a part of this wonderful church right here. Maybe this morning you need to come to this altar. Say, Lord, I've tried to do things and I've messed them up. Now I want to give it up. I want to let you be Lord and Master of my life. Would you stand with me as Brother Aaron leads us? Come on right now. Don't